You know, through the years, I've heard of some unusual weddings. I read about a couple from Little Rock, Arkansas. The lady's name was Ann Smith and Jim Gardner. were married atop of a telephone pole. They were both telephone linemen, and the wedding took place on a gravel road with about 40 people present. Uh, the couple was wearing jeans instead of the customary wedding dress, hitched on, the climb, uh, hitched on with climbing gear and ascended to the gaily de decorated crossbar where the bucket of champagne and goblets awaited and the justice of peace stood on the ground, that's where I'd be standing too, and shouted out their wedding vows. I read also about a lady by the name of Mary Campbell of Elgin, Illinois, that had to say, I do, three times in three different weddings before she finally became Mrs. Randy Peterson. Uh, the couple took out their wedding license in Kane County, made all the arrangements for the wedding in Smyrna Free Will Baptist Church in Ontarioville. It's a beautiful wedding, uh, but the church was in DuPage County. Not in Kane County, and they t were told, well, you, the ceremony doesn't count. You've got to do it all over again. So they packed up their wedding party and moved to the Lord's Park on at the eastern edge of Elgin. And they were married the second time in the shaded park with a quaint bridge over a quiet lagoon. However, a sharp-eyed copy editor of the Elgin Daily Carrier News was reading a report on the wedding when he noticed another problem. The park they were married in the second time was in Cook County. It's about 200 feet from Kane County. And so a third ceremony took place in the newsroom of the Carrier News a mile inside of Kane County line. They were finally married in the eyes of the law. I also heard about a young preacher that was performing his first wedding. He was more nervous than the bride and the groom. He did all right until he got to the end and said, It is customary to cuss the bride. So there are some very uh, unusual weddings. Maybe you had one if you're married tonight and you've had an unusual wedding. We won't take time to uh, hear about it tonight, but maybe you had one. But here in our text in Genesis chapter 2, we have the most unique wedding ever performed. It is unique in that it was the first wedding ever held. It's unique in that it was performed personally by God and the best man was the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit was the attendant. It was a beautiful garden wedding that sets precedence over all other weddings. In this wedding and, and marriage, we see principles that are established for every marriage that was to follow. And so this evening, we're going to look at this garden wedding and trust uh, we'll glean some principles that will be helpful for every couple and every home. But before we get to that, we need to look at some very important truths at the beginning of chapter 2. And I want you to notice, first of all, God finishes what He starts. Notice chapter 2 and verse 1. God finishes what He starts. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. After the sixth day, God's creative work was finished. Now evolutionists claim we're still evolving but that is not so. God always finishes what He starts. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the beginning, and the Omega is the end. 
He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And we need to finish what we set out to do and not quit, not give up. And we find this principle throughout the Scriptures. In John 17 and verse 4, Jesus finished the work His Father gave Him to do. In John 19 and verse 30, Jesus cried on the cross, It is finished. The word there is a word that means to set out and reach a goal. And He, he finished it. 2 Timothy 4.7, it tells us that Paul finished his course. Philippians 1.6, the work God began in our life, He will perform or He will finish it. James 1.15, the finished work of sin is death. The word there is departure. Sin will always cause us to depart from reaching the goal of serving God. This finishing principle is probably very important. Now, I would say it's not just probably important, but it is very important in regard to marriage. More about that later. Now, there's another thing we want to notice here before we get to the wedding, but God demonstrated the importance of rest. He demonstrated the importance of rest. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, "...in the seventh day God ended His work." which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. God rested on the seventh day after he, has finished, he finished his creation. Now the Hebrew word for rest is Shabbath, which kind of sounds like Sabbath. It can mean to cease from working, uh, to put down, to rest, to celebrate. And when the Scripture says the Lord rested on the seventh day, it means He ceased from His work, for it was completed. God did not stop because He was tired. In celebration, He looked at His creation and He said, It is good. And so He demonstrated the importance of rest. Thirdly, man's first home was the Garden of Eden. We see this in verses 4 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth which they created in the, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord to grow every tree that is pleasant in to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of the Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, it which encompasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and Onk stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same of it compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekil, which uh, that is, is goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord took the man, 
put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now we, don't, we won't go into all the details that are given here about the location of the garden, but it, we find that this was man's first home. We also find this is where man began to work. God knew it was important for man to work, uh, for man to stay busy. God placed Adam in this garden to dress it, and to keep it. That word dress there means to work or till the garden. To keep, keep means to attend to it. Hard work and accomplishment can be very fulfilling. Idleness and laziness can be very frustrating. But throughout the scriptures, God has much to say about work, and we find that God not only wants to work, He wants us to work, and He wants us to serve Him daily, no matter what we do in our lives. Now, we come to verse 18, and we find that it was not good for man to be alone. Amen? So, we first of all see the search by Adam for a mate. The search by Adam for a man, a mate. God first created man, and shortly thereafter he created woman. But there was a time when Adam was without a companion. He was not alone in the sense that he had all of God's creation around him, but he was alone in the sense that he did not have a companion to share that creation. And we we see the story here. Notice first the lack of a mate for Adam. The lack of a mate for Adam. Notice in verse 19. It says, And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But, but for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. God gave Adam a wonderful privilege and a wonderful, awesome responsibility. Uh, it was, he was given the honor and the task of naming all the creatures God had created. Now, if you uh, have a question about why some things are called what they are, don't take it up with God, take it up with Adam. Uh, he's the one that named them. Uh, but two little birds flew and landed on a tree limb, and Adam looked at them and says, I believe I'll call you doves. Two big animals came pounding through the garden, and Adam says, I'm going to call you elephants. Uh, Adam looked into the stream, and he saw swimming beautifully colored creatures and says, I'm going to call you rainbow trout. Yet as Adam named all the creatures, he noticed something. There was a Mr. Dove, and there was a Mrs. Dove. There was a Mr. Dog and a Mrs. Dog. There was a Mr. Horse and a Mrs. Horse. Uh, There was no Mrs. Adam. And he realized that all God had created, everything had a companion except he himself. And so this led to uh, the longing for a mate. The longing for a mate by Adam. We see the lack of a mate. Secondly, the longing uh, for a mate by Adam. Notice again in verse 20. It says, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. And for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. The word found 
suggest here that Adam longed and looked for a companion. He longed for someone of his kind. And until this time, it had never bothered Adam that he did not have a girlfriend. He had never worried about uh, whether or not he would have a date on Saturday night. Uh, He never wondered if he would be popular with the girls. Uh, But when he realized that he was alone, there grew within his heart an itch that he couldn't scratch. And he began to long for a companion. There was a desire for someone he could spend his life with. Now think with me about the naturalness here of Adam's desire. I believe his desire for a mate was a desire that God formed in Adam when he created him. God has put something in each one of our hearts that produces an attraction, an affection for the opposite sex. Boys go through a stage in their life where they hate girls. Can't stand them. You know, those girls, they uh, don't want to have anything to do with And girls are the same way. Boys can't stand them. But then there comes a time when something happens. Boys find themselves struggling to keep that vow that they made with the other guys that they would never talk to a girl. They begin finding themselves attracted to girls. And it's that thing that happens that causes sixth grade boys to begin sending notes in class that reads, I love you. Will you marry me? It's a desire that is natural. It's a desire that was instilled in us by our Creator. I want you to also think with me about the needfulness of Adam's design. You notice that the companion that Adam desired was first called a help meet. He needed a helper. He needed a completer. He needed a counterpart. God had designed Adam to have a need for a companion. We read in Genesis 2 and verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Up to this point, all that God had created was called good. Now we see the very first thing in God's creation that He said, This is not good. You notice that? He said, It is not good for man to be alone. Everything else up to that time said, It is good. It is good. It is good. Now he says it is not good. It was not that God's creation was imperfect, but it was incomplete. God had put in Adam a twofold need, a need for a heavenly father and a need for an earthly female. And the longing for a mate is a desire that is natural, which results from a design that is needful. If it, it, it is these two that God-given causes that draw man and woman together. It is this that puts the dream in a female's heart for a husband and the craving in a male's heart for a wife. It is this that causes the search for a mate. Preacher preached one Sunday on God's plan is one woman or one man for one woman. And after the service, a young lady walked up to him and said, I want to talk to you about that message. The preacher asked, well, is there something about the message you didn't agree with? She replied, oh no, I agree with everything you said. I just want to know, uh, I just want to get in, get in on it. He said, if there's one man for one woman, she wanted one, you know. Now, the second thing we notice here in this passage is the sending, the sending of, uh, to Adam of a mate. We saw the search, 
Now we see the sending. Look at verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now apart from one's salvation, there's probably no greater decision that a person can make than the person that they're going to marry. There's no way I can emphasize strongly enough the importance of marrying the right person. One of the greatest lessons a person can ever learn concerning marriage is that the right person for one to marry is the one that God brings into your life. There have been many that married a person based on physical attraction and they later regretted it. I think about one fellow who went to the opera to hear a lady sing that everyone was talking about. When she walked out on stage, he thought to himself that she's the most beautiful woman that he had ever seen. And then she started singing. He had never heard more beautiful voice in his life. And then he said to himself, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. I've just got to have her as my wife. He went backstage, and as soon as the opera was over, and he went there to meet her, and in three weeks they were married. On their wedding night, they checked into a beautiful bridal suite, and to his surprise, his new wife reached up and pulled off her long, beautiful hair. She was wearing a wig. But what surprised him even more that she was, that she was almost bald-headed, he was even more shocked that when she took out her false teeth and placed them in a glass on the nightstand. You can only imagine his shock as she popped out her glass eye and unstrapped an artificial leg. He sat there looking at her for a few minutes and said, Sing, honey, sing. You know, marriage must be built on more than physical attraction. It must be a spiritual attachment. As we look at God sending Adam a mate, we see, first of all, God's work in the provision of a mate. God's work. Again, in verse 22, we read that God made a woman. The word there, made, means to build. God put Adam under a divine anesthetic, performed divine surgery, and from a rib taken from Adam's side, he fashioned, he formed, and built Adam a companion. Someone has said that God created man, and that took, uh, and took a good look at him and said, I believe I can do better that, than that, and so he created woman. I love the way that someone has described the procedure. He said, when God created man, he made him out of the dust of the ground. When he created woman, he took her from man. He did not take her from his head in order that he might lord over her. He did not take her from his feet that he might trample over her. But he took her from his side, close to his heart, that he might love her and care for her. You see, God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and removed one of Adam's ribs to make a woman. And the term rib here metaphorically means support or helper to stand by a man in the hostile world. The Arabic word for woman means to be soft. 
And the root word for man means to exercise power. The woman was to be the man's partner, protected and loved by him. Adam had a desire and he had a need for a companion. God met that need by creating a woman. I don't think I've ever heard it said any better than the way someone has put it. The first man ever created slept in the will of God while a benefit, uh, while a benefit, uh, benevolent uh, creator prepared a partner for him. I believe with all my heart that there is a special person that God prepares for each one of us. And that is that someone that God has planned just for each one of us. Wise is the person that recognizes this, and foolish the person that ignores it. Now not only do we see God's provision for a mate, but we also see God's will in the presentation of a mate. God's will in the presentation of a mate. In verse 22 Notice again, very carefully here, that it was God that brought to Adam his companion. Eve was God's gift to man. She was God's will for Adam's life. This was indeed a marriage made in heaven. Their marriage was the first wedding in history and the only bride ever given away by God himself. And it was all the work of God in the will of God from beginning to end. Adam had looked for a mate, and he had longed for a mate. Now, I can imagine that one day Adam said, God, I've noticed that everyone else has a companion but me. Would you give me a companion? Adam submitted to God's will and allowed God to work, and God gave him the perfect mate. In verse 23, you notice here, as we read that, it was love at first sight. Adam looked at Eve and said, you're the only woman in the world for me. Hey, wake up. You're the only woman in the world for me. I'm sure Adam felt like the person who had fallen in love that wrote, I climbed up the door and I shut the stairs. I said my shoes and took off my prayers. I shut off my bed and climbed into the light and all because she kissed me goodnight. It's amazing what... Uh, uh, what women will do to men sometimes. But if a, person, if a person will seek the will of God and submit to the will of God, God in His time will send them the right person. There have been many who didn't seek God's will, and they didn't submit to God's will, and they ended up marrying the devil's choice instead of God's choice. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for a Christian to date a Christian. I assure you that if you marry a child of the devil instead of a child of God, you're going to have trouble with your father-in-law. Right? Now notice lastly, the satisfying of Adam in a mate. The satisfying of Adam in a mate. Look at verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. God has now brought a man and a woman together and given them a relationship intended to be the greatest and most fulfilling relationship known to the human race. There's a little girl that had learned the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. She was telling the story to her mother, and when she got down to the place where the prince kissed Snow White and wakened her from her sleep, the little girl said, Mother, do you... 
do you now, uh, do you know what happened then? The mother, knowing the, the story, how it ended, she said, well, they lived happily ever after. The girl said, oh no, they got married. Dr. M.R. DeHaan said, the nearest thing to heaven on earth is a Christian family and the home where the husband and the wife and the parents and the children live in love and peace together for the Lord and for each other. The nearest thing to hell on earth is an ungodly home broken by sin and iniquity where parents bicker and quarrel and separate and children are abandoned to the devil and all the forces of wickedness. And how true that is. God intended marriage to be heaven on earth, not hell on earth. It is to be a fulfilling and satisfying relationship. And as we see the union of Adam and Eve, we we see the satisfying relationship involves, first of all, a parental separation. A parental separation. Notice there in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Now at this time, Adam and Eve didn't have a father and a mother. Think about it. And yet here God, at the very beginning, is establishing a a principle of parental separation that marriage involves. A person spends the first part of their life either as a son or a daughter. And then it comes time when they become either a husband or a wife. And the parents that reared the child now are to release the child. The parent-child relationship really is temporary. The husband and wife relationship is permanent. Now I realize we are always going to be the child of your parents. But the relationship is temporary. When you become husband and wife, that becomes permanent. They now enter into a relationship that has uh, to have precedence over their father and over their mother relationship. One relationship has concluded and another has commenced. Children must leave father and mother, and mother and father must let the children go. So we see a parental separation. Secondly, we also see involved a marital situation. A marital situation. Notice again in verse 24, the words, and shall cleave unto his wife. There's a leaving, and then there's a cleaving. The word cleave means to be cemented together. It's like a couple is to be superglued together. You know how superglue works. It's sticks. Marriage is to be a relationship that is strongly welded, that nothing can break its connection. And anymore, it seems that people have the idea that God said, well, leave and leave, instead of leave and cleave. It seems that many marriages are held by Elmer's glue rather than super glue. By the way, a very good illustration is the kind of wood that uh, is ma- many of your houses are made out of. Many of you have plywood uh, in your house someplace. Do you know how plywood's made? It's wood that's cemented together. And what happens when you try to split a piece of plywood in half? It's splinters and there's damage and it doesn't look like you can use that for anything. And that's what happens for many marriages. 
When you split a marriage, it's all, only thing that is left is damage. There's not two good pieces anymore. And I remind you that it only takes 15 minutes to make this cleaving legal. But sometimes it takes years to make it actual. Someone has written concerning marriage a system by means of which persons who are sinful and contentious are caught up by a dream and a purpose bigger than themselves that they work through the years in spite of repeated disappointment to make the dream come true. We see a marital situation. There needs to be a leaving, then there needs to be a cleaving. And then we see, a thirdly, a, a physical satisfaction. Notice verse 24 again. And they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. God brought man and woman together in a relationship that they might become one flesh. They entered to a marital uh, uh, and a physical relationship that was satisfying. Marriage was never meant to be a deadlock, but a wedlock. It was, never, uh, it was meant to be an ultimate relationship that can be experienced between two human beings. Some married people feel like the lady that said, I didn't know what happiness was until I got married, but then it was too late. couple married for 50 years were sitting in the living room one evening and they got to thinking about all the years that they had spent together, the good times and the bad times, and what a good wife she had been. She had had, uh, she'd, uh, she'd had the rather grown hard of hearing in the past few years, so she leaned forward and yelled, uh, or he uh, got hard of hearing and leaned forward and yelled to her, Wife, I'm proud of you. She sat up in her chair and hollered back, I'm tired of you too. One recent survey showed that five marriages in ten that hold together, only 10 to 20% of those can be called intimate marriages. But I like the way someone put it, let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. We could say that marriage of Adam and Eve was made in heaven. God wants all of our marriages to be born of God and to be blessed of God. Now, in closing... Let me just draw your attention to some truths in this chapter, uh, chapter 2, that not only have to do with our marriages, but also our lives as individuals and relation, our relationship to God, and as well to our families and to one another. In chapter 2, we find several firsts. They're very important. There's the first command. The first command. Go back to verse 16, and we see here use the verb... For command. In verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God gives man a choice with positive and negative aspects. One on the positive side, he said to eat of the trees of the garden, and on the negative side, he said, Do not eat of one tree. And this principle is taught throughout Scripture. For example, in Colossians 3 and verse 8, Paul tells us to put off some things, that's the negative, and to put on some things, that would be the positive. In uh, Colossians 3, 8, uh, and then in, in verse 9 as well. But the test of Adam's obedience was being waged here. Will Adam obey or will he fail? God wants us to live for him because we choose to do so. We will make choices many times when we are tested. 
And no doubt you're going to be tested this coming week in your life. We must realize that obeying God's commands brings blessing and disobedience brings judgment. So there's the first command. There's also the first thou shalt not in the Bible. In verse 17, Adam was told not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the first situation in the Bible in which God told man not to do something. And God's desire for us is, uh, uh, for us it, uh, is not to learn evil and to live sinfully. In God's Word, it tells us to avoid the path of evil. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked and not, or go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Now this is an important principle that we find here not only for young people, but us as older people as well. We need to avoid the path of evil. We also need to abhor evil. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. There's that word cleave again. But we're also to accompany not the evil crowd. Exodus 23, 2 says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. You know, sometimes kids say, well, I was with this group and we all just kind of went along with each other and we did what everybody else was doing. Adults never do that, do they? They never do everything, whatever, what everybody else is doing. Sure they do. We all do it. But we're not supposed to do it. Especially if it's the wrong crowd, the evil crowd. It says in Exodus 23, 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Third John, in verse 11, it says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. So we're to avoid the path of evil, abhor evil, we're, not to, we're to accompany not the evil crowd, and then we're to abstain from the appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And so let me encourage you this week to do good and to avoid evil. There's one more first here, and that's the first example of unity. You notice here, God wants our relationships with our spouses to be a united one. The husband and wife should be one flesh, united physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This is the first of many examples of unity we'll find in the book of Genesis as we continue to study it. This uh, could be a whole other message right here, but we'll save it for another time. God desires for us to dwell together in unity as husband and wife, as families, as a church family as well. And yet we must also remember that though unity is important, the truth and what is right is not to be sacrificed for the sake of unity. We're not to compromise on Bible truth for the sake of unity, for such unity will be shallow, unstable, and eventually fail because it is built on sand and not on the rock. And so you find here these firsts that I think are very important in chapter 2, and the Lord willing, we'll continue our study in chapter 3 uh, uh, next Sunday evening. I trust it's a helpful study uh, as we're going through the book of Genesis. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we could sing, and they're, they're important. 
But Lord, Your Word is very important. And here in the first uh, chapters of Genesis, we have some things that are being established for all time. And we thank You tonight for this wonderful chapter, uh, chapter 2, which establishes principles for our marriages. Lord, we live in a day when marriage is being challenged on every hand. It's being challenged uh, in, the, in the sense of one man and one woman. It's being challenged in uh, just uh, uh, the, with the divorce rate that's so high today. It's being challenged with dysfunctional families and problems in the family, mainly because we're not establishing our homes on Bible principle. Lord, help us tonight to be uh, working diligently to establish our homes on the principles of God's Word. We thank You, Lord, that we can learn them and we can come together and study Thy Word. And we pray, Lord, that it will help us and encourage us. And even as we're tempted throughout uh, the, uh, the week, uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, our lives will be uh, in such in tune with Thee that we are able to withstand the tempter. Lord, we pray that it uh, would help us to... Uh, to study the Word and meditate upon these things as we go to our homes and to uh, throughout the week and have our quiet times with Thee. We pray, Lord, that You'll uh, work in our hearts the Word of God. And pray, Lord, it'll be a blessing to each one. Pray, Lord, as we close our service tonight, You'll continue to work in our hearts and uh, help us to live for You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.